This is EG Property Podcast. I'm Pui Guan Man, news editor, and you're listening to our latest budget special as we dive into what Rishi Sunak's autumn budget means for real estate. Joining us today are Melanie Leach, Chief Executive of the British Property Federation. Good afternoon, Melanie. Good afternoon, Pui. Mark Prisk, former Housing Minister, Strategic Advisor to Handley House and Chair of Saltaire Housing. Afternoon, Mark. Good afternoon to you, Pui. And Vivian King, Chair of the Shopkeepers Campaign. Afternoon, Vivian. Good afternoon. So the Chancellor presented his budget as his spending plans for a new post-COVID economy and with business rates, housing, planning, levelling up and REIT taxes all featuring in this autumn's budget, there is plenty for us to get our teeth into. Um, First off, did the budget play out as you expected and were there any surprises? Mark, I'll throw this one to you. How did this budget compare with what you were used to when you were in Commons? Well, I think the context is 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 actually better than we'd all feared. If you go back to March's budget, uh, things were looking a lot darker economically, but growth looks better now than it did then. Employment, clearly a, a much healthier environment, though tough for employers because we've got no- notable squeezes in the labour market. But overall, you know, it's good that people are in work. Um, and the public finances, although not pretty, are not quite as grim as we feared. So I would say that economically the context was easier. He had more room to manoeuvre within. I I wasn't expecting any huge rabbits being pulled uh, out of the hat because I think we've had a lot already. We had the March budget, we've had the social care levy, we've had uh, announcements on affordable housing, we've had the net zero documents. There's been a lot of policy running over the last year uh, good that he's going to spend a little bit more across the uh, the, the whole waterfront of Whitehall, uh, but you know we can get into the other issues. So no big surprises for me, but some generally overall economic encouragement. And Melanie, uh, a name check in the budget for the BPF. Um, what what did you think? Do you think real estate is is finally having its voice heard? Gosh, well, I mean, maybe first to comment on on and follow on from what Mark was saying. I mean, I, I agree. I agree with his assessment, but I guess the Chancellor would have hoped to have been in a better position in terms of some of the other pressures that will come to bear on those very significant sums of money that he announced. So, you know, with inflation you know, higher than he would like, with, you know, supply chain, commodity price pressures, all of those things, you know, will actually erode some of the some of the sums of money that have been announced just because, you know, they're, we're going to be paying higher costs for a lot of the things that will go to towards delivering. So I think that's sort of the slightly sort of um, downside, if you like, of a broadly uh, positive uh, package. Uh, yeah, name check for the BPF. I mean, fantastic. Uh, it's great to know that uh, some of the things you campaign for really do get heard um, and make a difference. And, uh, you know, whilst I'm sure we'll talk more about business rates and, uh, you know, whether our glasses sort of maybe a quarter full or three quarters empty still. Um, And of course, it's both. Um, You know, at least the Chancellor did hear our lobbying around uh, exempting green investment uh, from business rates so that, you know, there is a real incentive for people to go ahead and, you know, buy those solar panels, invest in that more green um, heating method, et cetera, et cetera. So that was that was really positive. And yeah, unusual, I think. Uh, I can't remember the BPF being name checked by a Chancellor before. Um, So we were really pleased by that landmark moment um yeah well it's i mean it's very interesting and lots of points there that i'd love to to come back to later but um as you say melanie one of the things we have to look at is 
business rates. I mean, we heard Rishi Sunak say in his speech that it would be completely irresponsible to abolish the system. A pretty blunt shutdown there for, on the sort of loud calls for, for a structural overhaul. Um, Vivian, what was your gut reaction when you heard him say that? Well, um, the shopkeepers campaign hasn't been calling for an abolition of, uh, of business rates. So uh, we recognise that a property tax is appropriate, provided it's appropriate for this century and it's fair and it's manageable. Um, so I think that's the first thing that I'd say. What, of course, was disappointing, to say the least, was that the uh, fundamental reform that had been announced in the Conservative Party manifesto, um, the fundamental review that had been referred to in the 2020 budget and then in the call for evidence in July, so through the pandemic, didn't materialise. We have not seen fundamental um, reform of business rates. We've seen some tinkering. Uh, there are some short-term changes and yes, it's, it's very positive that green investment will generate relief. But, but the bottom line is those businesses on the high streets that are really struggling they can't even start thinking about green investment. They just need to get through tomorrow and next year. Yeah. I mean, the, the Chancellor's claims were that rates will be cut by $7 billion in total. And, and he said that was the biggest single year cut in 30 years. What did you make of that claim? Well, what we're talking about here, by and large, is um, short-term reliefs. So we've got short-term relief for, for retail for a year, retail leisure and hospitality, 50% cut on that, subject to a cap, which is, um, let's call it relatively modest in the scheme of things. Um, we've got a freeze of the multiplier for a year, um, and then uh, investment uh, that might otherwise generate an increase in business rates is postponed um, for those making that investment for a year. Those are, those are short-term reliefs. The, uh, the reduction in the revaluation periods to three years as opposed to five years is a step in the right direction, but no indication of the annual revaluations that we need and why do we need them? Because the system has simply fallen out of line with the rental revaluation, uh, the rental, the market movement that it's supposed to follow. So that was a that that could have been um, a long-term change it was certainly one of the long-term changes that the shopkeepers campaign was calling for along with the reduction in the in the UBR um, so what we what we're essentially looking at is we're looking at some short-term what I would call stopgap changes essentially more government intervention when actually what the market needs is freedom to operate in a free market economy based on a platform that is sustainable to allow those businesses to operate. That's what we're missing. That's what we were promised and it's not what we've got. Yeah. I mean, in the fine print of the documents, it seems the government will be consulting on the idea of an online sales tax to sort of fund business rates cuts in, in England. What do you make of this as a potential solution? Well, I think I counted five different consultations actually um, <laughs> coming out of the fine, the fine detail. Um, so, so things certainly haven't uh, stopped here. There's, there's still an awful lot to play for. Um, uh, so that's um, that is in encouraging, I suppose. Um, but uh, it still uh, didn't deliver the fundamental changes that 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 we needed. Um, and we will have to see where uh, online uh, consultation gets us. It's a complicated uh, process. I suppose um, I was uh, uh, heartened to see the uh, the linkage of uh, online to to business rates 
but who knows the the devil will be in the detail we'll have to we can see what comes from that indeed i mean yes there there didn't seem to be a definite idea of of anything like that going ahead just that it'll be consulted on i mean how how likely do you think it would be that the government would would get something in place i mean you you mentioned a few of those challenges what what are those challenges well, the challenges for for online. Mm. I mean, apart from apart from anything else, in a, in a purely retail context, and online is not purely retail by any means, but that's what the shopkeepers campaign is focused on. Um, is uh, that the, the, of course retail is omnichannel. So you might take uh, you might you might reduce on the one hand, but increase on the other. Well, you know, then you end up in the same place. The end result is neutral, and that's purely uh, of one aspect in a, in a purely retail context. Yeah, Mark, I see you nodding along there. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think Vivian's right to say that the, the, these are short-term measures to get the government through to what it sees as a, 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 a small ch- change in the regime from 2023. It's good to have revaluations more frequent. That helps. Uh, it's not always good for everybody. Um, personally, I think there was an opportunity to look at corporation tax, which is on your profits, and to look at business rates, which is fixed and doesn't relate to your trading conditions, and see whether actually between those two, we couldn't shift the system so that businesses in which are consumer facing uh, are paying uh, their corporation tax rates and it's due to go up, uh, but their business rates come down so that uh, actually the tax burden better reflects when they're doing well and when they're facing difficult times. The the classic problem for people who don't pay business rates to understand is that it's fixed regardless of how good your trading environment is. And that's what squeezes really hard when times are tough and the last 18 months has been bad. Now the government have given uh, you know some recognition of that. I, I have to say I'm, I was always reticent about believing that in the end the 20 odd billion the government receives from that was going to get swept out of the way. Uh, as is often the case, there was a bit of rhetoric in the budget, which is to, which is to uh, suggest that people was, were suggesting a complete uh, direction when most people were not, in order to justify uh, other changes. And it's a political, you know, rhetorical thing that people do. I, I just think that uh, we need to step back and say to ourselves, how do we tax these businesses? Should it be on their profits or should it be on, on, on the real estate? And how can we get a better balance? And the other simpler thing you could do was take 10p off the multiplier um, for those for that class of business, which would make a substantial reduction in your, in your bill. Um, that would be relatively straightforward to do. Clearly, there's a big big you know cost to that for the exchequer um so that that would be the simpler way i also quite like the tesco argument which i'm not sure if that proposal is still running now but which was really to start to try to address this issue of the amazons and the overseas traders who have eaten so much uh, of uh, local uh, businesses uh, lunch as it were um again i'm not in the, in the business of trying to pillory certain types of, of businesses but you know they have traded uh, at a very advantageous position t- tax-wise for several years. Hopefully, this deal they've all now done at an international level on uh, the tech giants will include Amazon, and that might generate some revenue. Which I hope the property and the uh, and well both Vivian and Melanie will then push back to government and say, right, you're able to get this additional revenue from the Amazons and so on. Uh, we would like to see that reflected in how you uh, set the multiplier after 2023, that could help, that could help. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that's I think that's right, Mark. And we've long argued that, you know, as Vivian said, you know, there's no point taking some tax away from retail if you just plonk it back on them in another in another guise. What you actually need to do is stand back and deliver that sort of modern 21st century tax system that recognises that, you know, uh, the way people trade and the way people make profits uh, has changed and we, we should be taxing fairly uh, all those forms of economic activity. Um, so and, that, and we know we recognise that's kind of a big big ask, um, but it's the only ultimately fair and right ask to make. The other thing just to note on business rates, I mean, it doesn't affect us directly, but it's important, and I'm sure we'll talk more about uh, local authorities later on. But you know, it's good to see the government indemnifying local authorities against the impact of, of business rates release. Um, because we know how strapped they are for cash, and you know yeah. we absolutely don't want that coming out of local authorities' pockets. Um, so that was that was good to see in the detail. <laughs> yeah, and a shout out for Melanie again on the release because I think um, uh, she and her team have, have spotted that one of the problems I've always had with business rates, which is that if you improve your property, you actually get penalised for it. And I think the two changes that have been made on green improvements and on general improvements, albeit for a 12 month gap. Uh, are, are very sensible. Uh, so I think uh, well done to the BPF for that. Thank you. And actually, the green ones are much longer um, time period for the release. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the, the business improvement that's only for a year, but the green one, I think, stretches out to 2035, which is yeah. great, because right. it really is worthwhile, I mean, for, for all sorts of reasons. <laughs> Just one more thing on uh, rates that I was hoping to return to, and, and that is that retail and hospitality uh, rates discount um, of 50% with that cap at 110,000. Um, have I got the wrong end of the stick or is that per business rather than per property? And, and surely this then means very little in the in the grand scheme of things for, for the big multiples, um, Vivian. Yes, it is per business, I'm afraid. Um, and yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, you, know, you hit the nail on the head. So multiples, larger businesses, um, really, it's it's a, it's very modest. Um, yeah. it sounds uh, it sounds generous, 50% on anything, but um, the reality is that that cap um, is going to make uh, very little difference to an awful lot of businesses. Another thing we have to look at is um, housing and, and a few things that were trailed, uh, you know, before the budget um, were confirmed, such as the 1.8 billion backing for brownfield regeneration. Um, it seemed one of the biggest things that was unveiled um, yesterday was the RPDT, which was um, set at 4%. Uh, Mark, do you think that's a, a sensible level for, for taxing developers? <laughs> Uh, yes, I mean, I think that they, they've struggled initially to understand who they're trying to uh, tackle with this. And thankfully, uh, the bill to rent landlords are not going to be drawn into that. And again, you know, the lobbying effort on that is to be con congratulated. Uh, I do think that uh, the industry needs to, to pay, but it has to be the people who are responsible. And that's the problem with the whole cladding uh, issue, which is being accurate in identifying who is responsible and therefore sticking to the principle that the polluter pays, uh, that the you know the person who's responsible for the the the, uh, the in, inappropriate cladding or the way in which it's been actually constructed actually has to contribute towards these costs. So I think um, I think that tax is necessary, but making sure it's carefully defined and targeted is 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 the challenge with it. Um, I mean, I think there are a lot, a lot of other things on housing, which hopefully we'll get into, but um, uh, I hope they've got their targeting right on that now. Yeah, yeah. There, there is the suggestion uh, floating around that the government aims to tax 
um, profits on, on land with planning consent, even if there aren't any uh, spades in the ground yet. I mean, do you think that RBTT will, will essentially force more developers to build on the land, you know, that's sitting in their land banks more quickly? I mean, do, do you think we could see a sudden surge in, in homes coming out of the ground or um, is that taking it a bit far? <laughs> I, I, no, I don't. I think uh, this is this is and should primarily be about how do we make sure that those homes which uh, have the incorrect cladding on them uh, are remediated as quickly as possible. I personally think the government uh, has got itself into a bind on this on a number of fronts, not least the extension to uh, the number of properties in, in included in the, the, the process um, without thinking through the consequences. So uh, no, I don't, I think the short answer to your question is no. I think what was interesting which I'm detecting elsewhere is a shift away from a whole reliance on numbers as being the only game in town towards a recognition that things like the design quality, the role of MMC, uh, the shift away perhaps from the uh, arbitrary nature of an algorithm and the planning zones towards uh, more development outside of the southeast. I'm just getting a sense from Whitehall at the moment that there's a recognition of a more nuanced approach to housing, that, for example, homeownership is not the only game in town. We need a mix of housing tenures. And frankly, that's that's overdue and, and, and I think welcome. It's early days yet, but I'm just picking up different elements uh, across from conversations and so on that we are seeing a shift in, in the direction of policy. I think Mark's right about that. Um, we're picking that up too. We had a really positive meeting with uh, Chris Pincher, um, the housing minister, uh, last week, and we, you know, he's they're absolutely, I think, clear that build to rent has a key part to play. You know, we we've never claimed that it's going to be the answer to building 300,000 homes a year, but you know, it's bringing in genuinely new investment. It's doing all the things that the government wants in terms of reform of the rental market, mm. um, in terms of the standards of service, in terms of the commitment to to tenants and so on. So uh, I think we're really we're really positive about that, and I think Mark's absolutely right. Um, he's also right to say that I think the devil will be in the detail of the design of the RDPT. I mean, we've you know, we've come a long way in all the conversations we've had with the Treasury and uh, DLUC, as I think we call it now, um, <laughs> around making sure that um, purpose-built student accommodation, uh, the build-to-rent sector isn't caught. Um, purpose-built student accommodation is relatively easy to define and exclude. It's much more tricky with build-to-rent because of the various different kind of models that there are. So I think we've still got some work to do to try and make sure that we don't inadvertently catch some of the build-to-rent models that are out there. And it was also quite disappointing that it appeared from yesterday that institutionally funded registered providers of, so, of affordable housing will be within scope. And I think that's, mm. you know, that kind of feels a bit counterintuitive, really, given the focus that the government did put yesterday on affordable housing and the amount of new money they're sort of announcing for that. So um, I think we've still got some work to do. Yeah. Um, and around um, 65 million is going to be put towards improving the, the planning regime through uh, a new digital system. Um, after so many calls, you know, for, for reform in this space, do, do you think this is enough? And, and if not, what would you have liked to have seen? Um, I guess, Mark, I'll throw that one to you. Uh, okay. Um, uh, I was, I'm glad you mentioned it, actually, because the digitalization of planning uh, is something that I think is really important. Uh, it has to go along, however, uh, making sure planning authorities have the resources to have the range of officers uh, that they need, uh, which many of them do not, uh, because it's a non-statutory function, it's, but they've often been pared back in the last 10 years or so. 
I also think um, that uh, we need to think about just how many planning authorities we have. In Hertfordshire, we have 11, which is bonkers. Um, and actually it would be far better if we had three or four, ideally, I think one, albeit with a development control committee in each of the elected authority areas, so that you could have the calibre and range of officers, all the different specialisms you need in planning, uh, rather than trying to have 11 chief officer planning officers and 11 deputy chief planning officers and, you know, and then part-time tree preservation, you know, specialists, etc, etc. So I think there's a case for reform. I think there's a case for uh, digitalizing it. 65 million has to be a down payment. It isn't going to take it beyond uh, making sure what is feasible. So I guess that's what it's actually designed for. Yeah. Yeah. Melanie, do you agree with that? I do. I do. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a good start, I think, is the, the phrase we used uh, yesterday. Um, but I mean, it's clearly not going to be enough to transform the planning system on its own. But we have to move to a more efficient, modern planning system. And digitisation is, is a key part of that. And I suppose, you know, to, to Mark's point, I mean, I think he's right about the need to think carefully about how local authorities can be resourced to deliver that more efficient planning system as well. I mean, I, uh, I haven't looked at what the local government association's response to yesterday's CSR was, but I mean, I guess that, you know, 4.8 billion over three years um, additional for local authorities, again, you know, is is positive, is to be welcomed. You know, there is some recognition that local authorities, you know, are bearing huge, huge burdens and that those burdens risk becoming unsustainable without the government making sure they have resources available to them. I'm sure they say it's not enough and I'm sure they're right to say that, um, but it is at least a positive signal, I think. Yeah. I think it's I think it's high time for digitization to be spread right the way across government. I think in the private sector it happened years ago. Um, so equally in the uh, VOA, um, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's 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 the way we we've been operating for some time and really expecting people to operate without that level of support and efficiency. Um, really, you just can't expect the sort of service that we now as consumer of those services um, are entitled to expect. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so Sunak's budget came back um, quite a lot to uh, levelling up and I guess I'd like to to get your thoughts on whether this was a levelling up budget to you. I mean, what what do you think, Melanie? So, I mean, I think we're, we're gradually, you know, kind of turning the sort of shady, blurred lines of levelling up into, into harder lines, aren't we? You know, sort of thinking back to the Prime Minister in the summer, then party conferences, now the budget. Um, I'm 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 getting a bit clearer, but I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> I think we'll have to wait for the for the white paper that the Chancellor confirmed will be published by the end of the year to really kind of have something we can get our teeth into. But I think what what is clear and what the budget showed us yesterday is you know that the and I think the the reforming of government and the new department shows this as well as you know that infrastructure, transport, housing, they're all seen as fundamental building blocks to delivering, delivering levelling up. And that's where the Chancellor put a lot of his money yesterday. And that's absolutely right. But in terms of, you know, how as the private sector, the billions of pounds of money that we've got to invest can be partnered with that government spend to deliver levelling up on the ground. I think we're still not much clearer yet about that. <laughs> I mean, last time we caught up about the, the budget in, in March, Melanie, we spoke a bit about whether the role of real estate was recognised in the levelling up agenda. Do you think there's still a bit of a disconnect there with this latest budget? Well, I'm not sure I read much one way or the other into it from the budget, but I think the formation of DLUC, 
you know, putting Michael Gove in there as a serious political heavyweight, you know, to pull all of that agenda together. You know, it's now linked to planning reform. It's linked to housing. It's linked to, you know, uh, that that has to be positive. I think it's linked to local government. So you kind of you can see, you know, that someone that is a serious thinker, and I'm sure Mark can comment on this as Michael Gove is a strategic thinker. You know, there's every opportunity now to pull all of that together and yeah. to put real estate right at the heart of it. So we're, you know, we're optimistic that the opportunity is there. We have to tell the story and we have to make the offer to government to be their partner. And that's something we're, we're obviously really focused on at the BPF. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think levelling up has to be as much about people as it is about places. And therefore, uh, the investment in skills and making sure that there are a genuine range of job opportunities for people across the country. Uh, and that is partly about investment. It's partly about looking at uh, the different sectors and where they are located. So the development of uh, the new uh, these new battery factories uh, is a quite an interesting one. Uh, some of the decisions over some of the free ports, again, that's related to it. Um, I, I think both Michael and indeed Neil O'Brien, who is going to be the sort of uh, the, the, the minister who's directly driving on this, <clears throat> they're a good combination. They're sharp. Uh, but not uh, unduly ideological. Um, so therefore, they will be looking at both people and at place. And I think that's what you've got to do if you're talking about levelling up. It should be about making sure that wherever you live in this country, you have a fair opportunity to get on in life. Uh, and that's, I think, something which you know the government has groped towards as a policy because there's lots of different elements to it. Um, I would also say that I would like to see a substantial devolution of, of, of power from Whitehall to Town Hall. Uh, I think that is a very important opportunity, whether you need to reform some of those authorities and remove some of the layers so that we have more unitary authorities, I personally would like to see that as well. Um, but I would give them more power. The, the deal would be, you know, we will give, uh, let us say, I can say, say it now, so let us say Hertfordshire, for example, very important economically, but it's got too many authorities and too many, uh, but it also doesn't have enough power. So it's got the worst of both worlds. I would shift both of those so that the county actually has the opportunity to take more of the decisions that matter to its people at a local level and therefore more power and resources. So. Yeah, there's, there's there's lots in there, but I think they're getting there. And I think the white paper, because Michael and, and Neil have only been in position for a short period, um, they just need to get that ready. I would have thought they'll have that before, uh, certainly this side of Christmas. Yeah, I, um, I, I felt that we were starting to see what levelling up really means, um, because it's been a term that's been um, heavily used. Um, I think a, uh, a, uh, an opportunity for levelling up, particularly for the North, um, would have been through business rates reform, um, because if we'd uh, if we'd done away with downward transition, then we would have given the North the uh, opportunity for that bounce back, reflecting their uh, reduction in values, which isn't being reflected as quickly as it needs to be in the rates that are being paid. That would have really given um, those, uh, those those retail operators in the North breathing space, which they so badly need. I think I'd much rather have seen that than I would a visitor attraction for the Beatles in Liverpool. 
<laughs> Fair enough. And so we did touch upon this um, a bit earlier, but, um, you know, back in March, uh, Melanie, you outlined some hopes that, um, you know, because the autumn budget was timed closer to COP26, we could hope to see the government focus more on in incentivizing um, owners and end users alike to adopt a greener approach uh, towards buildings. Um, do you think there was enough uh, focus in this budget uh, this time around on future proofing properties? I don't I mean, I think the budget yesterday was light on that, uh, if I'm brutally honest. But then again, we had some announcements last week, um, you know, the heat and building strategy with um, the announcements around um, sustainability disclosure reporting and so on. So, you know, we'd, we'd had some of it up front, I guess. Um, and then the government may be holding more back for, for next week and the week after. Um, so the, bit in, the budget may have got a bit squeezed in the middle by, by those two things, I think. But no, I think, you know, there was an opportunity to be much bolder. Uh, which the Chancellor hasn't hasn't taken in the budget, but maybe there's more to come. Mm. I think Melanie's spot on in timing terms. You know, we have we've had one statement. COP26 means ministers will need to have various things up their sleeve. Um, to me, the big challenge here is how do we retrofit the existing housing stock uh, in a way that uh, you know is comprehensive and 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 affordable for either homeowners or indeed for for landlords uh, with example in the social housing sector so there were there were there were contributions in that direction the the uh, the, the money i think something like uh, 800 million for social housing um and more for the the government estate interestingly i think i was looking at the number there was something like 1.8 billion for the public estate to transition but only 800 million for social housing so i just wanted to understand whether the balance was there but um yeah, I think retrofitting of the housing stock is the, you know, in in a way it almost makes the challenge of a Grenfell uh, reforms look small because we're talking about what 25 million front doors. That's that's a lot of challenges, and we all know that heat pumps are interesting, but they're not relevant to a substantial proportion of that stock, and they're not the only issue in town. So. I, I think, I, I argue we should have a task force on this which is focused on it uh, and driven on it in the way that we've tackled some of the problems during the pandemic. It needs that sense of focus and purpose. Yeah, very interesting. Um, separately, there was a note um, in the documents about a new framework for taxing funds and institutional investors on uh, making investments and, and targeted changes for REIT tax rules, uh, which take effect um, from April next year. Um, it'd be good to get your um, views on these reforms. I mean, do you think this will make real estate more attractive uh, to investors? Uh, Melanie, I'll, I'll throw that one to you. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, we, we've been in sort of very detailed, very technical uh, conversations with the government over the last few months about, about both the um, asset holding companies tax regime and the changes to the REIT regime. Uh, and, we're, you know, we're positive about, about both. You know, there's still, again, some detailed technical stuff to work through, um, particularly about the relationship between what they're doing on the asset holding companies uh, regime and the interaction with the REITs regime, but but overall we're positive, and we um, particularly on the changes to the REIT rules um, and the relaxation of the listing conditions. You know we've been we've been campaigning for that for a long time, so we're really pleased to to see that coming through, and that should you know that reduces the admin burden and the costs on REITs and should help therefore make them more attractive. So yeah, we're we're positive about those changes, and also I think around you know not in the budget yesterday, but you know the the progress we've made on the long term asset fund. Um, you know, because I think, again, that is, you know, potentially creates 
more and better new opportunities to invest in real estate. So, yeah, I think the government's moving in the right direction on all of those things. So, so on the whole, was there enough for investment-led recovery, do you think? You know, has, has the budget addressed real estate's needs in this space? Um, I think, I mean, I think the general business reaction is, you know, that this is a, a good start and lots of, you know, positive um, small things in there, but not really overall a, a, a budget to really unlock that high skill, high wage economy that the Chancellor's talked about. You know, and, and I think that's probably right. You know, um, you can also see, you know, people speculating, you know, that the government is sort of holding quite a lot back because the war trust needs to be built for the next election. Again, Mark, better place to comment on this than me. But I think, you know, it's kind of, you know, overall, I guess, positive in the right direction on most fronts. But clearly the scale of the challenges are immense. Um, and we haven't yet seen the scale of response that we're going to need to see from government to tackle those challenges. Yeah, I, I think... Um... The P that is crucial here is productivity. You know, if we are going to achieve a, a, a higher level of wages, that comes around about skills, but it also comes around capital investment. And UK businesses have been holding on to quite substantial investment, the major corporates, which they've not been making perhaps uh, as we would like them to. So the question government has to think about is how do you unlock that? How do you incentivize it? Uh, they made some measures in the March budget, which I think were quite good. Uh, we need to see how they go. I think the tricky thing as well is if you think about the last 18 months, it's been an extraordinary roller coaster. And if you were in charge of the nation's finances, at what point would you bet all you know you've got? You know, would it be would it have been last March? Mm, definitely not. Probably not in the autumn. You had to do things in the following spring. So, at what point do we get out of the roller coaster and get back into slightly more normal environments in which, quite rightly, as, as Melanie said, you know, inflation is, is the top issue rather than the extraordinary nature of the pandemic? And and you'll always, as a, as a treasurer or in this case as a chancellor, want to have something in reserve, you know, because you don't know where we're going to be in six months' time entirely. The pandemic may, you know, go off again and we or something else may come along. So you... You, you kind of, and that always means, therefore, you never quite answer the essay question in full. It's always, it, it's always, a, I always feel a bit for chancellors because, of course, they could say more about X or Y, you know, but they'd be standing with a dispatch box and now, you know, this afternoon. So um, just, uh, I, I, I just think that um, productivity is the one that worries me and there's no magic answer to it. And it's about, it's about confidence. If businesses will invest to make their companies more productive, it will be because they're confident they can do so. And chancellors need to work out how we can get people to that position. And very often the levers are not within their reach. Yeah, yeah. And what do you think, Vivian? Well, um, I think you know, the, 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 um, there's been a blow for businesses in terms of corporation tax uh, changes, albeit a postponement. But um, for me, it, uh, it, it wasn't a business-friendly um, budget. Um, I would like, obviously, to have seen um, changes through the business rates uh, system, which um, would make such a difference to businesses that that, that were investing in real estate, particularly um, retail, which is what we've been campaigning for. Um, you, uh, you 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 put some relief in that direction, and then investment is available to be spent elsewhere in the sector. Um, not least in in um, creating the, uh, the the places in our in our levelling up constituencies that require that investment. So um, you know you 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 can't have it all ways.
to finish off, I guess I'd like to just sort of go round really and to return to that uh, question of of what was that one missed opportunity um, for for you? I mean, if you had to pick, you know, the biggest, most glaring omission uh, from from the budget, what did you not see that you'd like to have seen, um, Mark? I'll come to you. I first. think for me, it's very much around productivity. I really would like to see a chancellor focus on that. Uh, so that we get the long-term environment within which people are willing to invest. Um, and obviously, I mean, Vivian is right to say that because the corporation corporate taxes are rising, it squeezes their ability to do that. But I think there are other areas where incentives can be made, and I think there are other areas where policy and regulation can nudge businesses to uh, make that investment. So for me, the big issue still questioning is how can we make productivity and create this new economy the government says they want? Yeah. Melanie, how about you? I'll leave business rates for Vivian. It was only only fair to do so. So <laughs> I, I think I'll come back to I think I think the Chancellor could have said more about sustainability and decarbonisation. And I think there are things he could have done, you know, to drive private sector investment into that um, further and faster. Um, and I think, you know, I think it would have been good to see more on that yesterday, as well as I hope next week uh, when we get to Glasgow. Excellent. And Vivian? Yeah, well, actually, I, I agree with both Mark and uh, Melanie um, on the points that they've made. But but yes, that this this for me was the opportunity to deliver on a promise. That was uh, that was reconfirmed during the course of the pandemic and hasn't been delivered on for a fundamental reform of a business rate system which is archaic, it's not fit for purpose, and it's holding back productivity and the opportunity for uh, investment in sustainability. Well, that about wraps it up, um, I think. Um, Mark, Melanie, Vivian, thank you very much for for joining me today to share your thoughts. That's it from EG Property Podcasts. Um, do share your views on today's discussion with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, any social media channel of your choice. Uh, get in touch with your thoughts. And for plenty more budget coverage, be sure to visit our website at egi.co.uk forward slash news.